Tech Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or Friday evenings on RTE Radio. My name is Dusty Rhodes. Welcome to show number 940. A little later on in the episode, we'll be chatting about Irish science fiction, which I think will surprise, possibly even amaze you. But first, I'm joined, as always, by our editor-in-chief, Niall Kitson. Looking well, Niall, how are you? Thank you so much, Dusty. You're looking pretty healthy yourself. Oh, we're in our uh, little new studio uh, this week and we are enjoying a question for you, okay? I'll okay. give you the answer to this in a few minutes because it's tech-related, okay? Right. Of, um, I'm trying to think of the three main TV uh, platforms in the UK, okay? So you've got broadcast, you've got satellite, and you've got online, Ah, right, okay, okay yeah. So of them, let's say Channel 4, mm-hmm. Sky Television, Sky 1, mm-hmm. or Netflix, which one do you think is viewed most? All right. Okay, so I'm going to sit on this. What are the three options again? Channel 4, Channel four Sky and Netflix. Sky 1 or Netflix. Okay, so when you say Sky 1, do you just mean like Sky 1 the just, channel? Just the channel. Uh, or Sky as a question. platform? Let's just look at it. Um, let's just say Sky 1. Okay, right. So that's, that's quite limited. Uh, okay. Do you think? All right. Well, well whatever. So is Channel 4. Actually, uh, Channel 4 make Netflix a lot of their own well, stuff. Because, yeah. You see, it's an interesting question. I'll have the answer for you in a few minutes' time. Okay. But first, the big tech story this week is Microsoft. Yeah, Microsoft had a, a, a couple of announcements. A new, uh, well, two new Surface laptops. Uh, the most incremental of incremental improvements, Dusty? Nothing really new at all. Not a lot, no. I mean, uh, certainly nothing to change your mind. Mm, yeah, or uh, yeah. go out and, write and go, right, now is the time. Do you, do you know what was interesting? The fact that they had so little to say, but they still managed to make a presentation out of it. Still managed to get <laughs> ring some good content out of it. <laughs> that was It was kind of like, you know, okay, I want you to take last year's uh, event and redo it. Just just do it. <laughs> just redo it. <laughs> last just, year went fine. Yeah, change the uh, the amazings and awesome and we're so proud and we can't wait to see what you do with our tech and just put it in a different order. Yeah. So, uh, so basically, the two models are 13 and a half and 15 and a half inches. Mm-hmm. Duh. They're both using the 12th generation Intel Evo processor. No AMD this time, which no. is sort of a, a thing. If you go for the 13.5 uh, option, you're getting a Core i5 processor. Mm. If you're going bigger, you get a Core i7. Both models start out with 8 gigs of RAM and 256 gigs of storage. Um, and because there's no AMD, they are compatible with Wi-Fi 6 and Thunderbolt, which I guess is the reason there. Uh, in terms of the screen, uh, the 13.5 inch is 2256 times 1504 pixels versus 2496 times 114 pixels on the bigger model. And uh, the thing that always annoys me about the Surface laptop, which is not going away anytime soon, uh, isn't the cameras, which are always excellent. Mm. It's uh, the aspect ratio. They're keeping that infuriating 3 to 2 uh, screen. Which is the of, same as Apple, instead of 16.9. Yeah, instead of 16.9. I'm a 16.9 person. Ooh, I ha- I've used a MacBook for, oh, I don't know how long. All right, so that's mm. three, two. Uh, and then there was a big thing made about it when I was getting my Samsung laptop. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that that was 16.9. I kind of prefer the 16.9 on the laptop because what I find myself doing is I have two apps open at the same time. Mm. So having that wider screen definitely uh, helps. 
if you're just working on one application at a time, having the, the MacBook Air, the 3.2 screen, I think works a, a little bit better. Yeah. Well, I suppose if you've got a 13-inch screen, then 3.2 makes sense. But if you've got a 15-inch, mm. 16.9, I think is more comfortable. The other thing is that if you are plugging this in through a hub or something like that into a, a larger monitor, it kind of yeah. makes sense. If, if, if the larger monitor is 16.9 as well, which many of them are. Yep, that's true. You know, my my goal in life, my next mission, okay, mm-hmm. I, I need to, what do I need to do first? Win the lottery, that's it. <laughs> uh, is to get one of those uh, super wide, you know the 48 inch wide? Mm. That, that, that are the width of your entire desk. Yeah, that will and, destroy your eyes. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I just won't. Okay, so let's, and it has to be curved as well. Yeah. <laughs> Well, in fairness, it, it would have to be curved because that, that would work better. So uh, how much would you pay for either of these fantastic machines? Oh, man. Oh, God. Laptops are just going up in price again. Uh, uh, they in, are for in, various in, reasons. Yeah. In and around a grand is kind of what I would have been for a really good laptop. Mm. I would have paid in and around a grand. Uh, but they seem to be going up and up more. So I'm thinking twelve fifty, maybe pushing higher. Okay, uh, just, just over 1,200 for the 13 and a half inches. Oh, okay. Not bad. Mm. And if you want the 15, it's 1,589 yo. You can pre-order on the Microsoft website today. Mm, okay, uh, what else did they announce with Microsoft? The uh, Surface Pro 9. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, they had two uh, versions of that. They had uh, one with a, a 5G or what you call it, a... Uh, an AMD processor, which mm-hmm. they've kept. Uh, and that AMD processor will do 5G now, which mm-hmm. it, beforehand, it was only doing 4G, Nile. How did we ever live? Got in himmel. <clears throat> and uh, the Intel Evo version is Wi-Fi only. You know, I mean, the Surface Pro, did you have the laptop or the, the Surface Pro? I can't remember which Surface I had the Surface Studio, but I also had ah. the Surface Pro, which I really liked. Mm. I had a, a first generation Surface uh, Pro for years. Mm. Uh, never gave up on me. It was just, you know, it eventually just got too dated tech-wise. Yeah. But uh, great machine. But, I mean, the Surface Pro 3, I mean, come on. What what a device. Yeah, what a really device. nice bit of kit. A really, really nice bit of kit. And it works so well as a, a, as a, a tablet, yeah. as well as having the, the keyboard. And the keyboard is particularly good, but it's expensive. It is expensive. Oh. And Microsoft haven't really wowed me with anything mm. since then because they got it they got it so right true uh, alright anyway so that's uh, uh, what Microsoft announced uh, a couple of other little bits and pieces nothing really all the full details on our website at techcentral.ie a couple of stories out this week uh, with Teams and Google Meet and uh, are all doing kind of the same thing otter.ai are doing it as well uh, where you the AI will log into your meeting Mm-hmm. All right, on Google Meet uh, or with Teams, they've all got various uh, iterations of it. And it will listen and transcribe live. And then afterwards, will use its intelligence to do some kind of highlights for you. So it's kind of sitting in on top of the meeting. Yes. Seeing and, what everyone says. And what Otter does is that you can tell it, you can connect it to a meeting calendar and Otter will just go and attend the meeting anyway. Wow. You don't even have to be there. You can just read the highlights afterwards. Like, you know, so, I mean, because we talk about AI and artificial intelligence a lot. Mm. That actually is a very real world useful example that is happening today. That is very, very useful. All right. So it's Especially a, it's if you happen to miss a meeting for whatever yeah. reason. You're not relying on anyone. We use it all the time with the uh, uh, with the podcast uh, because it's great to be able to refer back mm. and and to find particular things and what time they are uh, in there as well. But uh, that that's interesting. What else is going on this week? Uh, we have a date. 
We have a date. Fly me to the moon. Yeah, well, seeing as the, the last date didn't work out so well mm. after us being so excited about the <laughs> Artemis mission. <laughs> um, Artemis, do you know who Artemis was in uh, Greek mythology? Uh, she was the goddess of craft, was she? Possibly, uh, but she was the twin sister mm-hmm. of who went to the moon last? Uh Apollo? Very good. Ah. Artemis and Apollo. Twins. Oh, clever. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, November 14th is the date that NASA are going to do that. And then the last thing on our list of little news items this week before we get into our sci-fi interview is um, TV in the UK. So yeah. most viewed yeah. in the UK. So our choice is Channel 4, mm-hmm. you know, popular, but mm, kind of niche-ish kind TV. Of yeah, uh, Sky yeah. 1, popular again, but niche-ish satellite mm. TV. Or Netflix, which everybody seems to have. Which do you reckon? Well, I tell you the one I enjoy the most. Mm. Um, I think Channel 4 is absolutely fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and they do have films up there, but they do the courtesy of not having many. Mm-hmm. So they, they might have like 10 movies at a time that mm-hmm. last two weeks great um, I'm going to have to come down on the side of Netflix 8% of all television viewing in the UK is on Netflix which is more uh, than Channel 4 or Sky yeah so 8% and kind of they're making a big thing about like you know uh, they're going to they're actually going to have their viewership figures independently assessed in the UK mm. by uh, Barb um, who used to do the top 40 that's why I recognise their uh, their name um, so we will be, know how many people watch that. We know when they're watching. We know how long they're watching for. Okay. Do we care? Actually, I do. And Really? I, oh, okay. I don't. I, I, I do because <laughs> I'm interested to see how much uh, stuff that I'm being recommended mm. is actually popular. Ah, to see the difference between what the algorithm thinks yes, I like yeah, versus yeah. things that are actually yeah, popular. Yeah, yeah. All right, uh, okay. And why? Yeah, okay. Well, they're doing top 10 and stuff like that. But outside of the top 10, you're right. You don't know. And, and mm. why are they recommending? Um, with the, the reason they're doing all this and it's not mentioned anywhere at all. Mm-hmm. What's the number one thing that you use audience measurement for? Advertisers. Thank you. There you go. So advertising coming to Netflix is the real story there. Listen, that is the news for this week. Do remember, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more. You can grab it all at our website for you for free at techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. As you most likely know, if you've listened to even just two of our podcasts, <laughs> we love our science fiction. This weekend, uh, since the return of OctoCon, the National Irish Science Fiction Convention, which brings together fans, artists and writers from all over the country. Jack Fennell is editor of the anthologies A Brilliant Void, and it rose up a selection of lost Irish fantasy stories. During the week, he had a chat with Niall Kitson about Ireland's rich history of science science fiction writing. Jack, most people wouldn't be familiar with Ireland's history and heritage when it comes to science fiction. Why do you think that is? Well, combination of things, really. Um, I'd say that probably like reason number one is that uh, during the 19th century, like this, um, this kind of practice of characterizing cultures by their temperaments kind of arose. So, you know, the, the Celts or the Celtic peoples were kind of positioned as being, you know, passionate and imaginative and 
you know, fantastical, but at the same time a bit flighty and not really in full control of themselves, as opposed to, you know, rational, level-headed Saxon types who were kind of born to rule, etc., etc. And that kind of uh, reflected itself in the way a lot of people discussed uh, Irish literature, in that, you know, realism was held to be a British thing and fantasy was held to be an Irish thing. Uh, you know, to varying extents, and that that was kind of bolstered a little bit by, you know, Yeats and other people during the Gaelic Revival. But then during the 20th century, we kind of had this cringing kind of turn away from that kind of stuff. You know, we didn't want to be seen uh, to be connected with, you know, the fantastic or the outlandish anymore because it felt too much like we were playing up to stereotype almost. And, you know, that, that kind of... Uh, you know, determined our engagements with weird fiction for a lot of the 20th century. But now it's kind of swinging back the other way, you know, the pendulum's returning. I think that's a really interesting point, because when you talk about Irish writers, there is this wonderful tradition and heritage in the Gothic that never seemed to have translated into science fiction. So do you think another factor involved in that would be the the slow, as you might say, also creeping secularization of Irish society. Yeah, that could be it too. Uh, I mean, there, there could be any number of reasons uh, for like the slow growth of the, the genre here. Um, I mean, the Gothic definitely did have an influence on sci-fi generally. Um, I mean, outside of our, like, I mean, they central to Gothic fiction is this idea of what Edmund Burke, an Irishman, uh, called the sublime, right? Like this idea of witnessing something so powerful and awe-inspiring that it basically ruins your life, you know, that it completely changes the way you see things and it's a complete paradigm shift. And, you know, back in his day, uh, people would eat raw meat before going to bed so that they'd have nightmares that they could write poems about when they got up in the morning. Nowadays, you have to be, you have to go to more and more extreme lengths to find that, kind of thing. But I think that the last ditch attempt that you could undertake to experience that would be to actually go into space and then take a spacewalk and then look down at, you know, the empty nothingness between your feet. Just watch the stars kind of drift off into infinity underfoot. Um, I think that whole kind of, that thing is central to science fiction nowadays is just the sense of scale and, uh, you know, really our, our kind of insignificance in the universe is a huge part of that. And that's definitely something that was inherited from the Gothic. And that's for science fiction generally, not just in Ireland. Uh, in terms of the, like the secularization of Irish society, uh, you know, you do see examples of sci-fi from the 1930s and stuff where, uh, you know, they try to kind of find some accommodation between quantum physics and Catholicism. So things like, um, you know, shows of Vortorna's Caraboula uh, and Clegg or uh, Four O'Clock in English and Dinnell was another short story of his where, you know, he, he tries to kind of square the circle between what we know about the world from advanced physics and what we're taught to believe in a theological sense. And, you know, he doesn't quite uh, manage to do it all the time. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I mean that is definitely a possibility. All right, I mean, I yeah, I would say that yeah, that's that's probably one of the main causes. You mentioned there uh, a writer writing in the Irish language. Um, we, we do naturally assume that any sort of writing of, of merit from Ireland is actually still in English. But uh, tell us a little bit about Irish writers that have been writing in Irish. Oh, yeah. Well, there's um, the, like, I mean, the, the famous example of Irish language sci-fi is Cahal O'Sander. Uh, he wrote a series of uh, chapbooks for uh, children back in the 1960s, uh, all about a space explorer called Captain Sperling. And, you know, Captain Sperling did all the things that Dan Dare and uh, Buck Rogers used to do, you know, flying around space and kind of, you know, doing battle with aliens and kind of sorting out problems and stuff. But, you know, he was just doing it through the Irish language. And, you know, there, there was no kind of additional comment about that. I mean, it was the most natural thing in the world <laughs> that he would be speaking his native language in outer space. I mean, why wouldn't he? And um, uh, more recently, then uh, we, we've seen, uh, you know, more and more people uh, kind of writing short stories here and there. I'm thinking of people like Paul O'Murray, who wrote, uh, he had a, a short story called Shook Shun, uh, which is his, it, it literally translates as frost sleep, but that that's his kind of sci-fi neologism for uh, cryonic, uh, susp like suspended animation, and talking about a guy flying through deep space in suspended animation. So it, it's interesting to see people experiment with that in the Irish language because, you know, it, it, it had a difficult time breaking into the Irish language, because back in the day when the Irish language was being uh, revived, most people were still kind of learning their vocabulary. And when you're learning actual vocabulary, there isn't really a whole pile of room for kind of made up sci-fi words as well. So it was just kind of a bridge too far for a lot of readers. Uh, Westerns, on the other hand, did exceptionally well because there was very little chance of miscommunication there. Uh, but nowadays, what you see is, you know, the standardized dialect of Irish is kind of generally well understood well enough, or it's generally widespread enough that you can start making up words and people will understand them as words that have been made up for the purposes of the story. Uh, you know, and as well as that, you get commonplace words like, you know, phasers, is kind of sometimes rendered as, you know, phaser, F-E, father, A-S-A-I-R, you know. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's all kinds of manifestations of it. One of the things I noticed in reading your anthology, um, A Brilliant Void, was the presence of some Irish uh, women writers um, mm. and, you know, actually credited as women writers instead of falling into the old um, problem in the States of, you know, initials uh, or, you know, famously in Star Trek, I think it was uh, DC Fontana had to be, you know, uh, credited as being sort of a gender neutral. Uh, God forbid anyone find out that a woman was writing science fiction. Not really a problem in the Irish experience, it seems. Uh, no, uh, well, 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 to a certain extent, that's correct. But um, at the same time, uh, a lot of what those Irish writers, what those Irish women writers, uh, what happened to their work kind of demonstrates why um, women writers in other places 
you know, tended to disguise their gender with pseudonyms and initials and that. Uh, because, like, I think I say it in the introduction to the Brilliant Void anthology that I went looking specifically for uh, science fiction by Irish women, and it was consistently mislabeled. You know, like, people, they kept being labeled as fairy tales or, you know, stories for children, even though, like, a lot of them were not in any way suitable for children. And, you know, they, they were just kind of, there was a general kind of lack of care given to how they were categorized and how they were archived and generally just treated with a kind of dismissal. Uh, so even, like, among the writers who were sort of out and proud about, you know, you know, their gender at the time, you know, you, you can, like, by what happened to their work after the fact, you can kind of see, yeah, th well, this is why a lot of writers chose to disguise their gender with initials, actually. Like, this just kind of shows what was going on at the time. Looking at sort of science fiction writers of the kind of the recent past, well, when I was doing my own reading, uh, it seems that the contemporary Irish science fiction, uh, or I suppose mainstream Irish science fiction, kind of starts up north uh, with James White. Oh, um, yes. Yes. So, so tell us a little bit about James White and why he's important. James White, uh, I'm glad you brought him up because I, I was going to bring him up myself if, if you didn't mention him. Uh, James White uh, was one of... Um, like a circle of uh, sci-fi fans in Belfast uh, during, like from the 50s up to the 70s. And then after that, uh, like after he married himself and his wife moved out of Belfast and they moved further down the coast. Uh, but there was like himself and Bob Shaw and a bunch of other uh, sci-fi fans from, you know, both sides of that cultural divide that was, you know, that became so contentious during that time period. And they found uh, science fiction was like a kind of a, a community, like it built them like another community, right? There, there was like another community that they were both part of, that both sides could be part of, and like that nobody kind of particularly owned it, and they could all just get along through their mutual love of science fiction. And James White was one of the ones who went on to become a professional writer off the back of that. And his work is kind of defined by, uh, like, compassion and an absolute abhorrence of violence. Uh, he wanted to be a surgeon uh, when he was growing up. He, he just wanted to become a doctor, but um, he said that, you know, he was all thumbs by his own admission. <laughs> so there's no way he was, he was going to qualify. Uh, but all of his heroes are doctors in one way or another. And his most famous series is called the Sector General series. And it's basically about a space station out, out in deep space, which is just a massive hospital. And all the characters in it are doctors and nurses. Uh, the main guy is an earth doctor called Conway, and he's a diagnostician. So, Basically, the stories are like little medical mysteries, like an alien comes in with something horrific wrong with it. Nobody knows what's wrong with it, and it's up to Conway to figure out what is happening and how they can treat it. Um, so it's a bit like that TV show House MD, except, you know, in space and with characters that are easier to get along with. Um, 
but that that was one of the things that kind of set him apart from all the other writers of his time or most of the writers of his time was that uh, you know the conflict in his stories is about you know scientists versus um, an unfortunate quirk of nature right it's like science versus disease it's not about you know shooty gunny kind of stuff it's not about trying to kill weird bug-eyed aliens it's about trying to heal them which is a very um uh, very novel approach and in the 90s there was a show called mercy point uh, which yeah. it was kind of a, a an adaptation, semi adaptation. Uh, you might remember it. Uh, I never actually saw it myself. I, I heard word of it, and then it got cancelled very quickly, from what I understand. And it did yeah, yeah. It, it landed. Uh, it managed, I think, all of thirteen episodes before imagine untimely end, but, but but not before receiving many plaudits for its production design and just mm. getting that idea of what uh, an intergalactic hospital would look like as opposed to something that we, we have already. Uh, another name that comes very quickly to mind in Irish science fiction is Anne McCaffrey. Um, oh, yes. yeah. so tell us a little bit about her. Uh, Anne McCaffrey was Irish-American and uh, she moved to Ireland uh, and, and kind of produced a lot of her work here. Uh, she's most famous for her Pern series, which she, she did this a couple of times that uh, like on the surface, her work looks like fantasy. Uh, and the Pern series in particular, it's got dragons. It's got people who ride about the place on dragons. It's sort of got noble houses and what have you. But it is in fact based on a rigorous scientific framework right this is not a magical kingdom it all works on science and this is basically a colony planet where the local wildlife has evolved in such a way as to breathe fire as as a necessary part of the ecological uh setup there so it's very interesting uh that she joined like it was it was almost like she kind of set herself a challenge you know that she created this thing that looks like a fantasy world on the outside and then it's actually hard science fiction when you dig under the surface so we, we talked about two of sort of the the more recognizable writers who else would you recommend for somebody looking to get a, a you know a, a very rapid education in irish science fiction Oh dear. Well, like I mean, this is the problem. Like I mean, if you if you mention a handful of names, then you know you're leaving a load of other people out, unfortunately. But um, after like if starting in Northern Ireland, I would say uh, Bob Shaw. He was a contemporary of James White's. Uh, he's more into the kind of the the kind of pulp action kind of stuff, but it's very philosophical and very profound and kind of his, his characters are very introspective and deep uh, so like very very um uh, kind of engaging sort of fiction there i would particularly uh, recommend his overland series which begins with uh, the ragged astronauts uh, then there more recently then there, there's ian mcdonald uh, who is well known within sci-fi circles but you know like i think he could always uh, stand to be better recognized by the literary community in general uh, he's a fantastic writer uh, if you want to see like uh, alien nations set in belfast in particular uh, you can read his novel sacrifice of fools which is a fantastic uh, piece of work and then follow on through all the other amazing novels that he's written uh, there's also joel zebedee 
uh, who's written uh, novels like Inish Carrig and many, many others. Uh, then, like, I mean, on our side of the border, then, you know, we've got just oodles of people. Uh, we've got Pader O'Galeen, we've got Ruth Francis Long, Sarah Maria Griffin, Sarah Davis Goff, Dave Rudden, Deirdre Sullivan, Oshin McGann, Ashleen O'Sullivan's debut has just come out recently, Big Bad Me. Uh, Damien Larkin is uh, a good one to check out. I mean, if you're into uh, military science fiction, he's got a series called Big Red, which is all about, you know, squaddies kicking Nazi ass on Mars, which is great. Uh, and then down further, we've got uh, Val Nolan, uh, who's like, you know, he grew up like a stone's throw away from where I did. Uh, and he's like a, a great science fiction short story writer because he writes about kind of sci-fi tropes crashing into everyday life. Uh, there's Finbar O'Reilly, who's like a very uh, interesting biopunk writer as well. And then there's also Brian Sexton, uh, you might have seen him on Twitter, if you're active on Twitter at all. Uh, he's very active on YouTube as well, and he combines uh, sci-fi with stand-up and improv comedy, which is it's a very unusual and heady mix, but it's worth checking out. And then outside of that, then uh, just to like shout out to some uh, kind of fan initiatives that have become kind of uh, professional outfits in their own right. Uh, there's a publishing outfit called Hab World 420 in Belfast. And in Dublin, then we have Aeon Press, uh, who also put out the magazine Albedo One. So like, there's a huge swath of things that a, like a prospective fan could uh, dig into if they're interested. And that was Niall Kitson chatting with Jack Fennell. A brilliant void and it rose up a selection of lost Irish fantasy stories are published by Tramp Press and can be found in most good bookshops across the country. As for the conference Octocon, it's taking place this weekend, the 15th and 16th of October in person at Croke Park, but also online. Get all the details at octocon.com. That link, of course, in the show notes on your podcast player for you right now. That's it for our tech radio show for this week. Do remember Remember, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie and of course, listen to us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, as always, have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.